All right. Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to see you on a Monday early morning. <laughs> um, bless you guys. It's uh, day nine, is it, of our fast? Day eight. <clears throat> day nine. <clears throat> day nine. You know, if you do your math, 21, that's almost halfway, right? 10 is almost, you know, from 20 trying to motivate you guys a little. <laughs> okay, um, so we're continuing on this morning, John chapter 6. And so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's like 60, 71 verses, and we're not going to read all of them. I wish I could. I wish we had the time. Um, but I'll start off from verse 1. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, A large crowd was following him because they were watching the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. But Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? But he was saying this only to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough for them, for each to receive just a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people recline to eat. Now there was plenty of grass in the place, so the men reclined about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were reclining. Likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Why don't we stop there this morning? Um, All right. Okay, so we'll stop there there this morning. A couple points I want to draw for us this morning to meditate on, and I want to start off in verse 3 where it says, but Jesus went up on the mountain And there he sat with his disciples. Uh, I feel like over the last year in this, going into this year, I feel like the Lord has been prompting me and reminding me, you know, it's like uh, if, if we're a ship, you know, whether as a church or whether as a government or whether you're the boss of your company, you, you kind of have to have a pulse, a feel of morale of people's capacities. You know what I mean? You can't just like always be going full force all the time. You, you know, you, you, you got to, you know, it's a marathon, right? You got to manage your, your, your capacities and your bandwidth. Um, and so what I see here in this picture is exactly that. Uh, there are crowds coming. It's still very early on, right? It's not towards the end of Jesus' ministry. It's just the beginning. We just had the wedding. We just had the commissioning of the baptism. It's still quite fairly early on. And he had just called the disciples. 
And all these crowds are coming. If you guys remember a few chapters ago, you know, all these people were praising him. But what it is, you know, I, I gave you the actual scriptural context for the, one of the church's favorite words to say, which is guarding my heart. Right? I actually gave you a, a scriptural reference. I, I, I gave you where that verse comes from, where it says that everyone's always praising Jesus, saying all these wonderful things about him. Uh, but what did Jesus do? He did not, he did not um, uh, uh, like, like take it to heart. He didn't, uh, uh, the word is pisteo. Uh, uh, the people believed in Jesus. Pisteo. But Jesus didn't believe in the people. He didn't entrust himself to the people. He didn't entrust himself to, oh, wow. The people love me. Oh, wow, the people are ready. Oh, man, they must really think I'm the Messiah. And, and so, and so you see, you'll see these things where seemingly like all these wonderful things are happening, right? Like you and I, we contend, we pray, we seek God, and all these wonderful things start to happen. And then it's almost like we let our guards down. Doesn't that happen to you guys? It happens to me a lot. You know, it's like we exhale, and then we entrust ourselves to the circumstances. We entrust ourselves or give ourselves to, to the trust of people, to, to our jobs, to our security. And then like something happens and all of a sudden we're, we're on guard again and we realize. And, and, and so Jesus doesn't so easily extend his heart or, or open up his heart or trust himself. And trust himself, pisteo is, is the Greek word to, to others. And so a large crowd was following him because they were watching him. They were believing in him. You know, they were in the signs that was performing on those who were sick. You know, it's seemingly like Ministry is going well. There's a lot of success. People are showing up. And then in the midst of that, right within the first three verses, but Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. We know that Jesus would spend uh, uh, a lot of time away from the crowds and he would be intentional. That's the word I want to use. He was very intentional about setting aside apart for him to be with God alone, but also for him to be with his core team or his leaders or disciples. And, and I just love this picture. Jesus went up on the mountainside. You know, the need is there. The need will always be there. Um, there's always going to be a need for ministry, right? This side of heaven. And yet, Jesus is intentional about right in the, seemingly at the beginning, seemingly at the height, and things are, you know, he cuts right in and, and separates them and spends alone time with them. They wanted him uh, Jesus could have kind of milked it, so to say. Uh, uh, and I love how intentional he is about spending time alone. Um, I think this is important for us. Uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Saddleback. Rick Warren, he has this uh, saying, and it goes something like, uh, you know, divert daily, right? Even if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes, on a daily basis, divert, you know, get some alone time. Um, uh, you know, get away weekly or rest weekly, at least once a week, just totally disconnect and, and you know, from everyone, from everything and just get some rest. And then uh, uh, annually, you know, go on, a, go on a retreat, you know, take, take a week off and, 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 and just disconnect from work, disconnect. And, um, and so... You know, I think we have to be intentional. I think, you know, in my anticipation, and, and I guess a lot of it is faith, and I can understand if people are skeptical, and, and that's okay. You know, uh, uh, you know I, I still, I, I'm just really excited. Um, but I still feel like, you know, it's still going to be sensitive, right? It's like if we were a ship, and we just came out of a storm or the tail end, and we can see a bit of light, 
in a way, that's, that's kind of a dangerous place to be, right? Because you're kind of just coming out of the storm. You kind of see that there's light on the way. And so I think it's a place where we still have to have our guards up, you know, still have to be ready. There's still going to be some turbulence and whatnot. Um, and so we're coming out of that. And I think to then just sort of like press full throttle on the gas and to expect, you know, everyone and everything, whether it's your company, whether it's your family, you know, whether it's a ministry to think that things are just going to go back, you know, to the way it was before, I think would be not, you know, not the best decision. I think, I think there needs to be a little bit of caution. Um, I think what needs to happen in this next season is just a lot of care, you know, a lot of timeouts, a lot of just meeting with people and just praying for them, not asking them about performance, uh, about projects, but just, you know, when was the last time someone just said, hey, how are you doing, man? How's it been the last six months? And, and, and I would imagine, you know, in these alone times, you know, there was a lot of intimacy, there's a lot of quiet time, there's a lot of just, you know, sharing a meal together and, and you know, I greatly look forward to, you know, uh, uh, having meals with all of you, you know, especially in the next couple, you know, after the couple weeks and whatnot. Um, and so, and so this is just really, I feel like what the Lord is saying, you know, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a hurry. Uh, there's, there's a couple things on the horizon that got me a little bit anxious, maybe a little bit, just, just slightly the thought of it. And I actually have to tell myself, I have to tell myself, hey, don't be so anxious trust God, trust God's timing. And I, and I put that thing in its place. And then I, I just spend quality time uh, uh, just getting my, my sense of worth and value and, and my peace from God, not from the things that I'm trying to arrange. You know, a lot of us are really good arrangers. We, we plan, right? So not by the things we arrange, but peace simply in being in God's presence, knowing that Jesus is the captain of the ship, knowing that he's with us in the boat. Uh, I want to continue on in... Uh, and you guys have heard this passage many times in verses 6 and 7. But he was saying this only to test him, for he himself knew that what he intended to do. Philip answered to him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough for them. So Jesus knew that he was going to feed the masses, that he was going to feed 5,000 over plus people, including all the women and children. And so he uses this as a teaching lesson. He says, hey, uh, you know, what would it take to feed, <clears throat> how much bread would it take to feed all these people? And a Philip answers, we, we don't have enough, enough money. And then, uh, uh, who is it? Simon, uh, Peter's brother, comes and says, you know, there's, there's a little bit of bread here and a little bit of fish, but it's not nearly enough to feed, you know, this many people. And so Jesus goes on to ask them to sit down, you know, nice grassy field like a picnic. And then he has the disciples go and distribute out the baskets. And, and people are taking the fish, people are taking the bread as much as they want. And everyone was fed. And just an incredible uh, miracle. Um, similarly, like the water that was transformed into wine, I believe those, <clears throat> because the people who are taking from it, they don't really know, right? God, Jesus knows what he's about to do. The disciples know that this is an impossible scenario. And so the people, interestingly enough, the people who are receiving it don't necessarily know what's going on. They're just... All, as far as they know, their, their side of vision is about this big. You know, uh, you know their, their vision doesn't go beyond this in terms of 5,000. All they know are baskets are being passed around and people are eating. They don't know. The people that are being impacted the most once again are those that are serving. You know, just like the, the, the wa uh, water that was turned into wine. It was the servers who knew that it was nothing but water. Not the guests. The guests were just having a good time drinking. And so it's, once again here, it's the servers. It's the servant leaders 
The ones that Jesus asks to do something, and they're like, dude, this is not possible. How, how, you know, I, I can't do this. Or, or Jesus, what, you know, they're the ones like, 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 you know, looking in the eyes, you know, corner of their eyes, like, you know, bowing their head, like, what's going on? Like, oh man, this is going to make us look bad. And then they're the ones amazed that as everyone is pulling out bread and fish, they're the ones on the front row seat shotgun seeing this miracle being unfolded. And once again, they're one of the, you know, they, they are the most impacted. And so I'm just reminded again for the second time as we've gone through, you know, only on chapter six, that as servant leaders, as people who serve in capacities to care or to shepherd, that we get to see God in action, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. And when we see that transformation, we know it's, 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 you know, it's, it's tiring, it's, it's difficult, we get attacked, there's fatigue, but then at the same time, we give glory and praise to God. Um, and, and, and I guess the more we're willing to surrender, the more we're willing to make ourselves available, the more we're willing to serve others, the more capacities and positions and places we're in where God can show us firsthand the work, literally, of His hands. And so just an encouragement and a reminder um, I gotta be honest with you, like, in the last, I, I don't know, for a season, I can't, I can't put a time stamp on it, um, and I guess the best way to contrast it is that I, I'm experiencing a bit of lightness, a bit, a, a lot more joy, and just, just delight, delight and pleasure in doing the Lord's work. And so, you know, you might be thinking like, peace out, what does that mean? Does that mean like for so many years you, you didn't like it? No, no. Uh, I enjoy parts of it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, was, it was a blessing. But, but I, I got to say there's a lot of burden. There's a lot of weight. I, I don't know. I've shared with you guys I had this constant neck and sore pain chronic for years. And at the same time, you know, and, and so I just felt like doing ministry at times, it, it, you know, it was a struggle. If I, I don't know. I guess that's, it's okay to say that, right? I'm sure you guys have good and bad days in, in your, you know, uh, uh, industries as well. Um, but just something has shifted. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I'm sitting on it and, and I'll, I'll unpack it and, I, and I'll probably make a teaching out of it at some point. Um, but man, there's this lightness. There's this delight. I've never been so delighted to wake up and come to early morning prayer. Um, and so it's just a lot of expectation. I, I'm just really excited to meet with the Lord. I'm excited to meet with you guys. Um, you know, for the longest time, there's been this incredible pressure about performance and things like that. And I, I, I can't explain it. This, it's, it's gone. It's, it's lifted. You know? And, and I just feel like, you know, there's, there's a flow and there's a presence. Um, and, and so, and, and I, would, I really do pray and hope that for all of you. There's knowing what's right. There's doing what's right and then there's trying to do your best to keep up and then ups and downs. And then there's just like gliding in the presence of God. And, 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 and I hope that you guys, I'm going to pray that prayer for you guys, that you guys can experience and encounter that. Let me just wrap up this morning uh, in, the, in, the, in the last parts of the verses that we read from 19, 20, 21. Then when they had rowed out, uh, so after this miracle, uh, they go off to another place. The people had followed them. Um, uh, they get into a boat. Then they had rowed out about 25 or 30 stadia. They saw Jesus walking on the sea. And coming near the boat, they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. 
So they were, they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land uh, to which they were, they were going. And, um, you know, in, in the other accounts in the scriptures, it says that, um, you know, Peter sees Jesus, and uh, Peter then walks out on the water. Um, and I'm always amazed every time I read that account. Um, you know, Jesus, <laughs> it's a crazy picture to imagine. You know, the idea of someone walking on water in, in, in the midst of uh, waves and in the dark. You know, what, what a terrible sight to see. Something so unnatural. Something so out of this world. Um, we know and understand in part, and I want to say this with a lot of humility, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so if you've been around church long enough, you've heard this uh, spoken on and taught on. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. Um, yet he relinquished. He, he submitted. He surrendered his, his authority, his power, his, 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 his God powers. And so there's a lot of debate on what that means. I'm going to say from the outset, I don't think that in our lifetime, in our finite understanding versus the eternal understanding and the cosmic understanding of God that will really fully be able to grasp it. Uh, there's, there's, it it's, you know, in, in so many words. Um, and so there's a lot of debate whether or not Jesus in his earthly ministry was just a man, like just like you and me, right? That he had, when, when, the Bible, when we say that he's fully God and fully man, but that he had fully relinquished his, his, his God powers, um, that he chose not to use those powers on earth. Okay, just follow me for a second. Why am I saying that? Why am I saying that as a man, uh, uh, he, he relinquished his authority, his powers, and he lived like a man like you and I? Um, you know, because he has to, the whole idea is that he has to represent humanity. He has to be like us. If he was anything different than us, then how could he possibly represent us? So he has to be us. That's why the humanity part is so important. Yet at the same time, we know that he's, he's the Logos. He's the Word that became flesh. He was in the beginning. He's the Trinity. And, and, and so we understand the God part. The part that this kind of, for me, where, where it, it kind of you know, gets traction or, or where we need to understand is in John chapter 14, he says, you know, the people are amazed at what Jesus is doing and the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the ministry. And Jesus says, man, if you believe in me and you follow the kingdom, man, you'll do these things and even more. Jesus says, you'll do the same things that I did. And then he says, even more. Right? How is that possible? How is it possible that you and I could possibly do the same miracles that Jesus did? That just doesn't seem you know, remotely possible. But then you look at the scriptures and you see all throughout that the disciples actually did a lot of what Jesus did. Peter himself was called out and walked on water. A mere human, simply in faith, seeing Jesus, laser-focused. I mean, the, probably the most focused, you know, two or three minutes of his life, you know, threatening the waves, crashing in, imminent death and fear. And yet he's so laser-focused on Jesus that he's literally like, almost like walking on air. Might as well be, right? And, 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 and for that moment, he encounters and experiences God. Jesus goes and speaks the word, people get healed. Jesus goes, pass by, people get healed. Uh, there are imagery and pictures of this, of the disciples walking by. You know, people would come and even Peter's shadow would bring healing to people. 
They're doing exactly the things that Jesus did, but they're not God. Right? And so there's some that believe that when, G- when the Bible says that Jesus was fully human, okay, just follow me here for a second. And it's, not, it's not something you got to get hung up on and, and, and you know, don't, don't go down that rabbit hole. Oh, God, man, is, is, does that mean Jesus was not, you know, God and all those things? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Leave it at that. But what some propose is that what Jesus did was through the power of God through a physical human body. Because Jesus himself had relinquished his power. And so everything Jesus did, makes sense, relied on the Father. Even though he's God, equal in power, equal in authority, equal in all creation, in rank. Yet because he submitted, relinquished his powers, you know, power and weakness, became weak, became a human. And then therefore looked to the Father for all provision. And so he was constantly going to him in prayer, seeking him, that then God... You know, it was, it was, I mean, it's, it's weird to say because they're all God, they're Trinity. Um, but in this way of fully God, fully man, but relinquished his Godhead, yet relied on the power of God as the son of God to do the things that he did. Um, I'll leave it at that. And, and the reason why I say that is simply to point out the fact that we also, if we rely fully on God, we also if we seek in the Holy Spirit, we also, if we look only to the Father, God is able to, you know, pour out His Spirit, pour out His anointing, and we're able to walk in this type of anointing and encounter and experience of God. Um, and so Peter walks on water. And so, and so today, you know, miracles and signs and wonders, uh, uh, even today, people, you don't hear it as much, but people are you know, raised from the dead. People are healed from their sicknesses. People are healed from cancer, uh, uh, from diseases. Um, and, and I think that's exciting. Oh, this is the last point I want to make. Sorry. Uh, I was looking for this. And let me, let me wrap up this morning with this. 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, seek me, not because you saw signs. Uh, uh, sorry. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. And so after this incredible miracle where he feeds the 5,000 and, and the whole community, people are like, man, this guy's the bomb. This is the real deal. This is a prophet. This is our new leader. He's going to... I mean, they're thinking, after seeing these amazing miracles, they're seeing the economic and strategic value of Jesus. They're seeing this and they're thinking, whoa, Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the one. If, if, if you're a Jew and you've been in oppression and you're waiting for the Messiah and you're waiting for your kingdom and your home to be reestablished and you see someone doing these incredible wine, uh, signs, here's a translation. Here's your interpretation. Wow. Maybe now God's going to free us from Roman occupation. Maybe now we'll get our property back. Maybe now I can start building my home and start building a future for, for the next generations. That's what they're thinking. It, uh, 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 Jesus, they see in him an economic and strategic value. I, I remember meeting with a guy who worked for Reuters in Beijing and uh, an ambassador from the United States for uh, uh, agriculture had come and I had had coffee with the reporter from Reuters and uh, we had sat down and he was telling me, I was like, what, what in the world do you need to send the agriculture state of head to China for? Like, what's, what's the point of that? Like, is there, you know, I, I was you know, very young back then. And obviously it's economics. It's, you know, the U.S. wants to sell more beef. And so they got to have good trade and good relationship. 
Uh, but not only that, but this is what he said. He said, but it's also to get a closer look at the books. And so in any, uh, uh, you know, in any wartime conflict, uh, one of the first things, you know, one of the biggest things that people don't pay attention to is, is a supply chain. You need to know how long an army or a military campaign can go on uh, uh, and how long that food supply chain is. And in, in the olden days, if you could cut off the you know, supply chain, no matter if you had the best equipment, the best military, the best strategies, if you, supply, if you cut off that food chain, you know, war's over, right? And so, so he was just saying to me, oh, it's not only that, but it's also strategic value. People, they want to have a closer look at, at their capacities and how long a, a, a military campaign and things like that. And so, I mean, if you're looking at Jesus and, and you want to get out of oppression from Roman occupation, and, and you have some people who are willing to fight, and you have a man who can heal people from the dead and heal people when they get their limbs cut off, and you have a man who can produce food on the spot, you're thinking this is going to be the greatest general the world has ever seen. You're going to think that, man, I'll follow this guy anywhere. He can produce healing. He can produce food. Any type of campaign, we're going to overrun. We're finally going to go back like in the old days. God's going to redeem you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Star of David. We're going to have a military campaign. We're going to have a, you know, a, a, a country, borders, nation, treasury, all those glory days, all those things, and come back again. And so they see Jesus for their economic and strategic value. And Jesus says to me, man, you, 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 you follow and, and because, uh, uh, you know, because of the signs, because of the loaves. And then Jesus reminds him in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but food that lasts for eternal life. So church, this is a great reminder for us. Do not work. Do not simply work for food or for housing or for comforts that will perish. Do not simply work toil and slave for things that will perish. Let's bow our heads this morning. Let's come before the Lord. Then they continued on and said, what are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. And so this morning, let's come and just spend a few moments. Jesus says in, in other scriptures, uh, you know, the woman at the well and the disciples came back and ate bread and, or brought bread for Jesus and he had eaten breakfast for lunch. And, um, and Jesus tells them, you know, I have food to eat that you do not know of. And, and do, to do the work of the Father. It, it fed him, it ministered to him, it energized him, it strengthened him. And I think for that to happen, uh, there needs to be a place of real surrender, a place of real intimacy. Otherwise it becomes a toil, other, other, otherwise it becomes a job, it becomes a responsibility, a requirement. And so Lord, I just pray, Jesus, as we are here this morning, Lord, you know, we, we, we could spend so much time about, you know, being passionate about work and time just flies and it seems like we don't have enough time. We could have so much time in leisure, you know, watching a whole Netflix, you know, series, two hours, three hours, next thing you know, where did the time go? And then we try and sit down and spend five minutes with you and it's laborious. It literally feels like work. God, something is wrong. Something is, 
seriously wrong. If, if we were to go to a spiritual doctor or hospital and they were to take our pulse and pressure, immediately they would say something's wrong. Something is wrong. Lord, let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. If that's us, God, then we repent. God, we confess. What that means, what that is an indication of, is that the majority of our hearts, pretty much 99% of it is somewhere else. And God, whenever we try to meet with you, whenever we try to pray, whenever we try to come intimately before you, there's, there's a blockage, there's a barrier. It's not for a matter of will. Our, our desire and our heart is for you. But there's some type of blockage. There's some type of bondage. And so, Lord, we pray that you break that, that you cut that, that you release that. You know, that we, that we, we break through that. And that everyone can experience this, like, lightness and joy. It's no more performance and work and a job and an opportunity. It's just, God, we just delight in you. God, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, that they would simply find the delight in being with you. God, that they would catch that wind. Man, I, you know, we've been paddling for so long, you guys, we, you know. But, man, what God is asking us to do is put up our sails and catch his wind. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be an unlocking and an unbreaking in our minds. It starts with our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. Uh, um, man, we can't be excited for the things of the world. We must get excited, Jesus, for you and you alone. And when that happens, we get a glimpse or feel of that wind, that breathe kind of just uh, shoots through, our, you know. And then we put up the sails and then we start gliding. And then we start going with where you're going. You know, we're not swimming across the grain or upstream. Jesus, we go where you go. And so, Lord, we just make that that prayer uh, for us this morning. Uh, let's respond in worship uh, over the next moment or so, and then we'll go.